Hey, everybody, it's Lee. I know we're heading into the offseason, so we wanted to give a shout-out to our title sponsor, NHL Sense Arena, one more time. And again, we have a coupon for $50 off an annual subscription when you use Hockey Never Stops at hockey.sensearena.com. I always like to remind everybody, I've been using this thing for six months, and I'm just blown away, not just from the VR aspect of it and the virtual reality side of things, but the ability to give different perspectives of the game, whether I'm playing as a goaltender, and I got to admit, it is really hard, but it has really given me a perspective from that point of hockey, which has made me a better coach and a better ice hockey player, or the skater modes, which help you work on cognitive skills and other things like heads-up play that you don't normally get to work on in a practice or a game. So I implore you to check it out. It helps us out. It helps them out. Support our title sponsor, NHL Sense Arena. Get $50 off an annual subscription when you use Hockey Never Stops at Hockey.SenseArena.com. Again, that's Hockey Never Stops. That's the code at Hockey.SenseArena.com. Check it out. And without further ado, enjoy this episode of Our Kids Play Hockey. Hey everybody, it's time for Our Kids Play Goal. I got a very famous, very notable guest today in Clint Malarchuk. If you do not know who that is, stop really quick and Google his name. He played in the NHL for 12 years. He has an amazing story um, after dodging death three times uh, in multiple ways, one of them being uh, suicide. Uh, he is a mental health advocate. Uh, he has been for many years, and this has been an amazing discussion about goaltending, but also about you know mental fitness, mental health, and his journey to do that. It's an important episode uh, that you should listen to. You can listen to this one with your with your kids if you want uh, to talk about that conversation. Uh, promise you, it's not a downer. It's very uplifting and fun, and you're gonna enjoy it. Um, also, if you have a chance, stop and make sure you subscribe if you haven't already. Give us that five star review. Um, and make sure that you're sharing this with people because it really is important we get these messages out there to build our community, but really the community around mental health, mental fitness, and doing the best we can as parents, coaches, and players to just make this a better place for everybody. So without further ado, let's get you into the episode. Clint Millardchuk is with us today on Our Kids Play Goalie. Hello, hockey friends and families around the world, and welcome to another episode of our super popular spinoff series to Our Kids Play Hockey titled Our Kids Play Goalie. Our guest today, Clint Malarchuk, is a 12-year NHL goaltending veteran and inductee into New York State Hockey Hall of Fame. But beyond those accolades, which are impressive on their own, Clint's story and life are changing the way we look at mental health in the game and beyond. As a suicide survivor and someone who has experienced trauma throughout his life from childhood on, Clint now dedicates his life to helping others. He has accomplished this through speaking regularly on mental health, authoring his biography titled Crazy Game, How I Survived in the Crease and Beyond. In the U.S., it's called The Matter of Inches. Make sure you pick that up if you haven't already. He's also the host of the Warriors Unmasked podcast, and he serves as a figurehead for the movement throughout his work with the Ranch Teammates for Life organization, which we'll talk about today, and other groups on similar missions. We're going to have a very impactful conversation today about goaltending and mental health, so make sure you stick around for the whole episode. I know Mike and I are looking forward to it. Clint, let me be the first to welcome you to Our Kids Play Goalie. Uh, my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's our honor to have you today. So, Clint, I, again, the focus of today's conversation is going to be about mental health, mental fitness, uh, but as it is a goaltending show, you are a very famous goaltender. I want to ask you, um, how did you get into the position? Everybody's got a unique story about how they ended up in the net sometimes it's a sibling thing sometimes it's just the way your mind works uh sometimes it's luck of the draw how did you end up becoming a goalie well my my dad was a goaltender in the senior leagues up in canada back then uh, senior leagues were pretty high level and uh, he played without a mask that's how far back uh, <laughs> yeah uh, you're looking at me probably going uh, i don't think you wore a mask either <laughs> uh, <laughs> But, uh, and then my brother, big brother, seven years older, which is, that's, you know, seven years is quite a bit. So I kind of looked up to him big time. So I had two of those guys ahead of me. Uh, so I, I wanted to be a goalie like they were. Uh, they, they insisted that I play forward until uh, I, would, well, I think I started playing goal at nine years old. Uh, the reason being is they said, you got to learn to skate. Right. You know, so that was kind of how I ended up in, in the, in the pipes. I think any goaltending coach worth their salt will tell a right. young goalie, you need to learn to skate because the goalie's got to be the best skater on the team. It's just, it's just, they, the don't have it to be the, they don't have to be the fastest, but they do have right. to have good edges, good push, you know, good balance, really. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, my, my son uh, who just literally turned nine the other day, 
uh, is a goalie. Uh, it, it's funny. I, I, Clint, when I say that, I still find myself saying, is he a goalie? Yeah, he's a goalie. He, he's, he just fits the personality, and, and that's what they've told him. So we have him skate a lot. Um, you know, Clint, I want to dive into this here. You know, We talk a lot on the show about how we all love the game, but the game shouldn't necessarily define who we are solely right? That it's not just, I'm a hockey player. Obviously in your life, you had to deal with a a moment in time threatening to become what defines you, right? How did you overcome that? And what are your thoughts on having the game define who you are, you know, especially for the youth hockey players listening? Well, I think that's a a great statement. Um, You know, for me, I, I can really speak to that because if I had a good game, I was a good person, a good kid. And if I had a bad game, I felt like I was a bad kid or a bad person. And that's really not healthy thinking at all. But uh, my dad was kind of, uh, he was a great guy, don't get me wrong, but he was an abusive alcoholic. So I think some of that I got from being under that pressure of, you know, hockey was everything for me. And But I, I had a hard time uh, sorting through some of those those things, uh, you know, good game, good kid, you know, that, that, that sort of thing. And I can't tell you when I pulled out of that or, um it was i was definitely playing you know pro hockey right and still still feeling those that way and like i said that's really not a good uh a good place to be you know for anybody it doesn't define who we are as a person it's just something a person does right it took me, it took me a long time to learn that yeah I, I think one of the one of the uh the hardest things to overcome i think for us as parents watching other parents and especially like an, a, somebody like me in my position watching you know an abusive parent or watching an overbearing parent or watching a parent that you know is pushing their kids to to be at every skills clinic every program every tryout is that the they when you talk to them they understand and they watch somebody like you who succeeded so they're like well it's he succeeded i'm like well i, I know but what's your definition of success i mean right. And, right. and that's there's so many kids that get pushed this way right without their own doing and they happen to they happen to make it to the highest level. But I think what's what's lost on all of us at the youth level is we don't see the thousands of kids that didn't make it. Right. That that experience the exact same thing. I mean, so wouldn't you say that like in your situation and some other professional athlete situations that come from this type of background, you were just you were just lucky. Like you made it through. Yeah. Where a lot of kids just don't. Many kids don't. Yeah, you know, we're we're talking a little bit on the parents uh, and how they <laughs> kind of act and, and everything as you started with your your comments there. And I still uh, give private lessons occasionally. And uh, more than once, I've had a parent uh, standing on the bench, yelling and screaming at the kid. I'm giving a private lesson. It's not a game. It's not even a real practice. You know, we're going through drills and sequences and and you got this parent yelling at their kid and then waving the kid over to the, to the bench, <laughs> you know, and, and telling the kid what to, I mean, come on, you're, you want me to give the lessons and I've got the background and experience and here you are <laughs> buttoned in. And, and you know what I say to myself or say in my, <laughs> I guess in the back of my head is uh, this poor kid's going to quit the game before he's even, you know, 15, 16 years old. Because that's just overbearing to the kid. It wears on them. Uh, I think it's just a negative impact. And uh, parents, is you know, they can be the, the worst enemy for a kid. As much as they love their kid and want the kid to succeed, I don't think they realize the damage they can be doing. Uh, you know, let the coach coach. Um, right. Let the kid have fun. Uh, when you leave the rink, you know, leave the game at, leave the game at the rink. Yeah. You know, Clint, I can tell you too, you said this too, it comes from a place of love, right? The, the overbearing parent. And I, I always like to to say that because along with that, the overbearing, the overbearing parent doesn't realize they're the overbearing parent typically. And the things that they tell themselves, um, and look, I'm guilty of this at times too. I'm very competitive, but I've heard, sure, well, I'm, yeah, I, yeah. I, I just want my kid to be co- competitive. <laughs> you know, I've, I've heard that. And I said, right, but, but you need them to love the game first if they don't love the game it, it won't matter the other thing too is you're creating a value set for that kid that is unrealistic of that you need to be perfect or you need to do this yeah. right all the time um and in a way you take the creativity out of the game right and that, that's that's really the best part you know it's the pond hockey nature of it but you know to the parents listening out there and i'd love for you to talk to them about this again it comes from a place of love but you gotta check yourself make sure that that you're not you know, vicariously accidentally living through the kid. Right. And again, we're all guilty of that. 
Um, and then also you got to check your ego. Cause I think what happens is some parents double, triple, quadruple down on the, no, I'm just trying to help them. And, yeah. and it, you, you're almost blind to the fact that you're not, it's doing quite the opposite. Well, a lot of parents, I think they, you know, their kid's the one he's going to make it, he's going to be in the NHL or, or if it's a gal uh, playing goal, they're going to go collegiate and, and that, oh, it's not always the case. Right. Right. But they, they want it so bad. I think for the, for the kid more than themselves, I think they would really want it for their kid. Right. But, uh, you know, nowadays too, the coaches, uh, you know, when I played uh, minor hockey and that it was always a, a parent that coached, right. Uh, maybe a couple parents and now they have like levels of coaching um, that you have to, you know, you have to graduate through coaching levels and certificates, get these certificates to be a coach. So it's not like it's, it, you know, the coach does know what they're doing. They've been having to pass an exam uh, to get to that, you know, coaching level. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think knowing that I, sometimes I'll joke around, like I do a lot of coaching education for USA hockey in the States here. Yeah. And, USA hockey, and, there's your, there's your, there's your go-to right there. And and you have, but, but there's, there's certainly a lot of people that like, so there's a big difference to me in, and I, I love your comment about like, when I grew up, it was all parent coaching and, you know, there was no certifications. I mean, who even knew what the background was after these people, you know, and, and, and who, maybe we didn't want to know, but I think in the way it's structured right now, the tools are out there for any coach to become a better coach and understand, you know, uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the format of the game. But I think, you know, one of the things that's lacking in all the coaching education, and I don't know if you know, Wally Kozak, he's a Canadian oh, very guy. Well. Yeah. Yep. So Wally, Wally and I talk every week and uh, you know, one of his aspects, him and Tim Bothwell. They yep, keep I know the, the I know the group. Yeah. I know so the that group you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So the sharks there. And they, and what we talk about all the time is the lack of education, of the mental side of the, of the compassionate side of the ethical side. And, you know, maybe we didn't know this all growing up because there wasn't social media and we didn't see the, the mom, you know, climbing over the glass, yelling at an official. And we didn't see somebody, you know, throwing a garbage can across the rink. And like, we didn't see a lot of that because we were all in our own little worlds. I mean, it definitely happened. It, yeah, it yeah. happened. Right. But yeah. I think now that there's so much exposure, one of the things we have to do is understand that we're, we're, educating the X's and O's certainly, but there's even more of an emphasis because of the exposure to educate the, the mental side, the compassionate side. And maybe you could speak to that a little bit. I mean, even your unqualified, you know, parent coaching, the one thing they did know how to do was be a parent, right? First. And I think what we've lost a lot is when we watch the pro coach, listen, there's, a, a binder of level five USA hockey coaches that I have that I would never allow to coach my kid ever right. step on the ice of my kid. I don't care how high a level certification are because they're just not good people. And so I think finding good people first um, and then letting them, uh, you know, teach the game, I think is one of the top priorities. I think we have to, we have to look at. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I couldn't have said it better, but uh, you know, you get the mix of course, not every coach is going to be the, the, uh, the greatest. But they're, you got to remember, they're out there trying and they're doing their best to help your kid or that kid. And, uh, you know, we, we should probably be thanking them rather than ridiculing them. Right. Right. They're so important to our game because if you don't have coaches and officials, we talked about it all the time. We don't we don't have a game. Right. It, right. You can skate all you want. But I think it's and I think even more so with the goaltending side. I mean, I watch. You know, when we when we ask people to raise their hands to be a goaltender at seven, eight years old, <laughs> I mean, it, we, we with the stigma is, oh, this kid raised his hand. What's wrong with him? Like, there must be something wrong with him. So stick him in the net and then keep him there. But I but I think that that whole idea that, you know, we have to how do we nurture kids to play goalie, be respectful of the position as far as the, the skill development, but also embrace the fact that it is a different position. There's mm -hmm. there's a different level of anxiety for the parent and the kid oh yeah and and we have to also understand it's a lot easier for us to knock a kid out of the net and we can't replace them like how many kids are raising their hand to play goalie in a group of 15 kids you know one well but back in my day it was either the fat kid or the kid that couldn't skate <laughs> and that they you're the goalie you can't skate you're the goalie you're overweight yeah. you can't move fast enough you're the goalie right and uh so i what i hear you saying too is you got to respect that position um, it, it, it's a tough one, uh, not just physically, but mentally. And, and I think the worst thing is, is a hockey a goalie mom 
because she has to sit there with that anxiety. If he lets in a goal, everybody's going to blame him. And and to a point, you know, there there, there is some truth to that, um, especially if it's a he wins or loses the game. I mean, he could lose the game by a bad goal or, you know, bad game. And uh, there's that pressure that goes with it, even as the kids uh, at the young ages, because, uh, you know, we're competitors and that's why we play sports. So that with yeah. that with that competitiveness comes that uh, that self-made pressure that uh, and again, that position is full of pressure. Yeah, my son plays lacrosse goalie, and I when he gets scored on, my wife goes, "Well, what about the guys that lost the ball down there?" And then they yeah. they got through the middies, and then the middies yeah. lost the ball and got through the D, yeah. and then the D yeah. didn't know how to cover the player, and it was an open net. It's not his fault. Well, they always <laughs> like, say, that "Well, it's, eventually, it's somebody's fault." But I mean, again, it's a full team well, effort. It, it, but the goalie several, is his, his own thing. Several mistakes made before the puck gets you know right. shot on the goal. I mean, right. there's there's a breakdown here or there. Several or somebody coughs up a puck. I mean, right. But no one sees that. Well, they no. see it, but then the, once that uh, puck crosses the goal line, that's what they remember. <laughs> well, it's the yeah, same unless the goalie, unless the goalie's yeah. diving out of the unless the right. goalie's diving out of the way of the puck, then maybe it's probably not completely his <laughs> fault. Yeah. That was uh, me. I get real. I get real skinny as a goalie. <laughs> <laughs> but, right. And Mike, we always say, right, as coaches, uh, when we win the game, the players did it. When we lose the game, it was the coach's fault. Um, right. Yeah, you know, right. Clint, I'll tell you this too with, with my kid, and, and again, like you, I'm a, I'm a mental health advocate. Um, and when he jumped in net, I remember my concern was not, you know, pucks going in the net. It was, you know, my kid's a pretty emotional kid right. at his age. Um, and so I took more of an approach of using the position as a vehicle for his growth in that way. Um, and I have been uh, astounded at his resiliency of when a puck goes in the net and controlling himself and understanding how to to deal with those emotions. Um, and that's what I coach to uh, when we do talk about it. I try never to coach him in the car or anything after the game, but we talk about, okay, when the puck goes in the net, what is your process mentally, son, to yeah. to kind of overcome what's happening? He's not always perfect at it. Again, he's just turned nine, but I'm so proud of him that, that he says, you know, I have to do better at just getting focused after a goal. To me, no matter what he does in the game, Right. If he stops in five years or one year, he's learning a valuable life lesson yes. that's, that goes beyond hockey. Um, and I always said this, this is a sports in general, but hockey specifically is a vehicle for our kids growth as human beings. And, and when you focus on that, it really creates good people. And I always said this, good people make good players. Right. Yeah. Um, when you get to that point. Well, it, that's what sports does to us. It, it, it you know, it helps build uh, character helps, uh, coping mechanisms with pressure uh how to channel how to focus but you know you'll even hear uh, goalie coaches head coaches and even commentators uh talk about how a goal a certain goaltender and i'm talking in the nhl where he's very very capable of parking a bad goal or a bad game and coming back with a strong performance or rebounding uh with with great saves after a bad goal and it, it's i think it's a learned uh talent really that yeah. you have to, you have to focus you have to learn how to mentally rehearse like i i used to when i'd let in a goal good or bad i used to mentally rehearse the the goal going in see it and i'm doing all this before the next face off uh see it go, and then i'd redo it in my head as hopefully i could get five times in right. uh, of making the save doing something different and then i was able to park it and oh. uh so that that was a, a tool that i had learned from a book that i had read and, um, you know, it was about mental uh, uh, toughness or uh, enhancing your mental game as an athlete. And what I liked about the book, it, it gave a six week practice. You did a certain thing one week and then you expanded on that in week two, uh, adding another skill. And you, you had to do this. I think it was 20 minutes a day. It was like going into the gym and riding a bike for 20 right. minutes. Right. Uh, you know, so. Uh, it really, really helped. I, I believe that book made me from an American Hockey League goaltender to an NHL uh, goaltender uh, because whenever I got called up to the NHL, I'd do okay, but I was lighting it up in the American League. And I was like, why can't I do that in the NHL? What is the difference? Bigger stage, uh, bigger. Now you got TV, but they didn't have TV in the American League last uh, when I played. Uh, all the, you know, the pressures now with the internet, you can stream games, even if the, the, the very, there's a thing called, uh, oh, shoot, something barn. 
yeah, live, live barn, barn. live yeah, barn, yeah. hockey TV. Yeah. 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 My, my wife's uh, the figure skating director director at, uh, here in Reno, Reno ice. And she's got that barn TV so she can see what's going on on the ice anytime. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, how far have we come with that? I, I've had adult league players send me clips of them playing adult league hockey, which is, yeah. I mean, it's silly to me, but I, hey, whatever, whatever floats you. But no, do you remember not, the name I, of that I, book by chance? Uh, it's an old book, obviously. Yeah. Uh, it's called Sports Psyching. I'm writing by, this down. Uh, uh, Dr. Thomas Tutko, T U T K O. And I think there's a co author too, but he's the main guy. Well, uh, one of the nice things about the internet, Clinton, is that we can find anything. So we'll yeah. make sure we look that one up. Yeah, a former player, Tim Tukey, and I, we do uh, adult camps here at, in up in Reno. I live about an hour outside of Reno. And uh, you you would not believe, it's mostly beer league guys, right? And, and gals too. We get girls playing too. And we put them together, the men and the women. And I'll tell you, the intensity and the willingness to learn and improve it, it's unbelievable. I'm like, it, it really, I love doing the adult camps. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. I believe yeah, it. Yeah. Well, that's, that's one. But again, that's where you think about, I mean, just that's just, just understanding that you went out, researched this on your own, found this book on your own. Think about the resources that are available now to NHL goalies, right? They're not, they're not, they're not having to read a book or go search it out because Hopefully, well, I get maybe and maybe and maybe we need to even start bringing this down every level, right? Is that if this is accessible to our our everyday players, like why are we waiting then not to be proactive in adding these into our you know programs like Lee does with his his little kids, even his eight year olds? Is a lot of those things that you're doing that that mental toughness training or that recovery ability, like we like you know we need to add this into the into the player development spectrum. Uh, for what we do with our kids, because I think we just say, you know, I think like when I grew up, it was just like, well, I don't know, toughen up, like just stop yeah. the damn puck. Like yeah. how, how hard can, how hard can it be? You know, so we don't, we don't think about all the other things that right. go through a player's heads. And then the, un and then the fact is the game is mental. I mean, if you can't, I mean, you know, if you can't understand that as an ex player going in, how can, how can you teach it to these, these young kids that are now to your point, they're, like when was the first time, Clint, right, that you saw yourself on film as a goalie? Probably really late in your career, like, right? I mean, and now these kids see it on the bench during the play. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so so like it's I, like you know, think about how fast we're asked to recall a mistake. Yeah, where where years ago you didn't even know you made a mistake. Well, what you said right off the start there was just do it. Just do it. Well, how? Where's the how? Right. And, and to expand on not just the mental side, now the athletes, uh, and they start very young now. It's not just in junior hockey. They start younger. Nutritionists, um, you know, uh, fitness, uh, off-ice fitness coaching, uh, things like that. And these kids are starting that at 13, 14 years old. Um, you know, so there's a lot more resources on the how how to do it, not just back in the day, just do it. Just do okay. it. Where's the how? I, I want to bring up a couple of things here, Clint. One of, the, one of the terms you said earlier that I loved, I've actually never heard this before, is that mental rehearsing. I, I want to reiterate that to the audience. I think that's a really great statement. And then you alluded to this too about, uh, you know, I use the term mental fitness a lot in my work uh, because I think it equates easily to physical fitness and everybody understands. And we talk about this all the time on the show. You work out, you'll get yeah. in shape if you stop. You will get out of shape and your mind works very similarly. Um, and and I what I find in my line of work, I want to definitely turn the conversation this way, is that um, the stigma surrounding mental health, mental fitness is, is starting to break a little bit. We just have a long way to go. And when I say it's breaking, what I find uh, when I work with coaches and teams now is that it's not a it's not a just shut up and don't don't feel anymore. It's okay, you have feelings, <laughs> you know, yeah. there's a mental side of the game. But that is kind of now where the conversation stops. It's as you just said, okay, well, what am I supposed to do about it? Um, and as Mike said, a lot of my work comes is that's where I start to fill in the gap. So, well, let's, let's do two minutes of meditation with eight-year-olds, which is extremely hard, but yeah. they can do it yeah. and they learn how to do it. Now we're planting seeds at a very young age of mental health, mental fitness, and understanding that this, your mind is just as important as any skill set you have physically. Yeah. Um, do you want to comment on that? Well, I think it goes back to what I said about that book. You know, it gave a yeah. six-week 
program right you, you actually put into your game if you were scored on or or between face-offs you were mentally rehearsing something you were visualizing uh you were preparing for the drop of the puck in the next uh, sequence of plays and uh, you, you 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 touched on it too we're we're, we're 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 teaching how now instead of just do it right but yeah i think uh, that comment about yeah you, you go to the gym you work out we we've we've done that part for years and years and years right. and we're just we're starting to really graduate more and more into the mental part right. it's like it's like lifting weights with your brain or your mind doing reps mental reps that's what i call them yep and, no. and it's, it's so important. Like I said, it, it I think that's what uh, got me out of the minor leagues and into the NHL. But I did the program. I did it every day. And, uh, you know, I, I implemented what I learned and practiced, more importantly, what I practiced mentally into my game, what I was doing. I'm just thinking here, too. Now, that's very forward thinking for that time period. You know, that was not a wildly accepted uh, uh thing back then in fact there's probably looked at as weakness or as yeah, as uh, yeah. you know this the stigma it goes you know um Clint, just, just continue this look we, as we said there is a stigma surrounding mental health um you know and for the audience listening clint's works are well documented his life is well documented i, I encourage you all to look him up look at his his ted talks look at his speeches because he talks on this all the time and uh, you know just in researching the show i, I remember you know you, you have said you suffered in silence in your life um, and while we know that the conversation of mental health is more prevalent, um, we are still seeing some of the highest rates of suicide among young athletes ever. Yeah. So my question is, what can we do as a community to get better at this? So not just the coaches and the parents, but as a community, how do we break the stigma and have these conversations that we need to have? Well, the word you just use, conversations, and we need to we need to talk about it rather than uh, brushing things under the rug and turning our back to it and pretending it's not there. I just got back from University of Minnesota. I, I spoke there, and there was a lot of student athletes. Uh, I was kind of overwhelmed by how many emails I got. Uh, you know, on hey, I struggle, uh, and I'm afraid that you know that it's going to affect my game. All sorts of different comments. But I was kind of like, wow, you know, there's a lot of pressure on student athletes. You know, they got the education, they got to juggle the, you know, the their sport with uh, uh, going to classes and and studying and everything. But uh, we we've come a long ways with the erasing the stigma. But we're we're we we got a lot of work to do still. Right. And I think we you got to talk about it. You know, that's why I'm really impressed when companies, corporations. Um, uh, universities, even high schools, uh, bring somebody like me in to talk and tell their story. And for a lot of people, they, for the first time, they've heard of maybe a former professional athlete really open up about what they dealt with. And yeah, you know, m mine was more than the pressure of playing goal in the NHL. I also struggled with mental illness and I did as a kid too. So, and I used to think I was mentally weak because I had all this anxiety issues and depression. And I look back now and I go, I, I wasn't mentally weak. I was, I was dealing with NHL pressure and mental illness. I was double tough, right. but at the time I sure didn't think that. And as you, you mentioned, I, I suffered in silence and darkness. I, I didn't want anybody to know that I struggled with these issues because it would be perceived as weak. Right. And it's not a weakness. It is not a weakness. It's uh, so many people can relate uh, to depression, anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, which I have. Um, and and I, it, but it, it, they, they do it in silence because they feel they're going to be judged. And uh, we're we're getting uh, more progress, I think, opening up more. Like I said, when people bring people like me in to speak, they're obviously seeing that we have a problem, whether it be in our school, our, our company, our, you know, the HR people, uh, they're, they're, they're forming hotlines uh, where it's all anonymous, where, you know, they can get help uh, through the company, but no one knows they're, they're struggling. And, you know, it's funny if, if you were diagnosed with, let's say, God forbid, cancer, well, you know, you got to do treatment, uh, you, you know, all these things, uh, medications, and, you know, the, probably the first thing you're going to do is go into your boss or your employer and say, hey, uh, I got I got to go through this. And what are they going to do? They're going to say, what can we do to help? Take time off, work at home, do it, you know, take care of yourself. Now, right. if you have mental illness, 
what are the chances you going into your coach or your boss and, and and saying, hey, I really struggle with depression and anxiety because of the stigma. They're afraid they're going to be judged. And in a lot of cases, they still are. But we're, right. we're, we're getting better and better, I think, as a society with that. Yeah, and Clint, I'll tell you, uh, Mike, I'll throw it to you in a minute, sorry, yeah. that that this is an issue that goes so well beyond hockey and sports. We're seeing this in military. Oh, yeah. uh, we're seeing this just in daily work. Uh, people are afraid to go to their bosses. You know, w- one of the things I, I wanted to say, too, is that keeping in sports for a second, they've done polls. Everyone can look this up. They poll young athletes. What is the number one topic that you're most interested in? And it is always today, mental health, mental fitness, or some version of that. But with that said, I would ask all the parents out there, myself included, how often do your kids bring this up to you, right? Because there is a bit of a generational gap here, right? We, we should also say this to Clint, that a lot of the understanding of mental illness didn't exist 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, right? So, so it's some of its people are a victim of their time. They didn't understand. We didn't know, right? right. But you, you bring up cancer and it, you know, it's amazing to me because- you know you have an illness. You know there's medicines. But you know what? I, I doubt most people are diving into how chemo and radiation work to the cellular level. They just know they need it. Yeah. Right. So we just we have to find the the analogies here of of you know, sometimes it is talking to someone. Going with therapist is not a weakness. No, it is not. It, it's courageous. It, it's I agree. And right. you, you know, I, I use an example all the time in my in my talks because people I'm trying to break down the stigma. And, you know, when when I for me, when when you, you mentioned the word military and uh, I think who are the who are the most mentally toughest, mentally toughest men and women in the world? I would have to say military right. first responders, um, you know, but I think of military right now as an example. And we have these mentally tough people. You have to be to do that job. You could die. You're you're going on tour. You you're, you're away from home for maybe a year at a time, and it's, mental toughness huge. Yet in in the U.S. we have twenty two suicides a day every just, day just by Iraq and and Afghanistan veterans. They go over there and they get mentally damaged PTSD. They come back. They self medicate and die by suicide. And these are the, so. It's, and my point is, doesn't matter how tough you are. It, it's I know for me. Uh, I don't produce enough serotonin, my brain. It's a mood, uh, the mood uh, chemical. And uh, that's why I'm prone to depression and anxiety and OCD and all these things. So what's the difference if you're diabetic? It's it's a chemical imbalance of, I think, the pancreas. My chemical imbalance is of the brain. So what is the difference? Please don't label me as weak. Right. <laughs> and a diabetic is different. You know, it, it's different organ. Yeah, and I'll say this too, and Michael, I'll throw it to you. What's interesting about stats, right? The 22 a day stat, which actually I believe is actually a lot higher right now post COVID. Could be. Um, you know, to put that in context for people listening, if you did the math on let's just keep it at 22 a day, of how many uh, veterans we lose to suicide a year, and compare that to how many casualties of war we have, it is a staggering difference. Yeah. All right. It, it, I mean, the, we lose an extremely amount of more people to suicide than war. And we're not taking care of our veterans for that yeah. or, or each other. And the steps to do that are a lot easier than you might think. A lot of it is just empathy and acceptance. But even just asking someone, how are you today? Are you OK? Or if you believe someone to be suicidal, coming right to them and saying, are you having suicidal thoughts? Right. The, the direct right. way is the right way, I think, with that. Yeah. Um, go ahead. I, well, I, I, I think, too, that, you know, if we put uh, as much resource resources into helping people or educating people on mental illness and, and mental health, uh, you know what? Crime would be down. Prison population would be down. A, a lot of the uh, criminal element or criminal uh, that are in prison are mentally ill. Right. And, you know, they sure they might be self-medicating, getting into drugs, alcohol or whatever, and performing uh, these crimes and they go to prison. But if we were to educate at a young age uh, that, hey, there's help, let's if you're struggling and we're getting better, don't get me wrong. I don't want to bang on the system. I mean, we've come a long, long ways, especially from uh, 
from when I was really struggling and first got diagnosed at around 30 years old. You know, I'm 61 right. now. Yeah. yeah the, the conversation's going the right way, uh, for sure. I agree with you. We're making headway. But, you know, I always re reflect on this, too. There was a young player in the OHL that recently committed suicide, and uh, a, a high-ranking person in the OHL the week before had said, oh, we've got that mental health stuff under control. Yeah. And I remember thinking, it's not something you get under control. That's that's just the statement is almost incorrect. Um, so so I, I agree with you. We're definitely going the right direction, but there's a long way to go. Mike, I've, I've sucked up enough of the oxygen in the last five minutes. I apologize. I know you had a question there. Sorry about uh, that. I forget. That's a lot to unpack right now in the last uh, five minutes, though. So. One thing before I forget, because uh, I will forget. <laughs> concussions, concussions. Um, the... Uh, the statement you met, you said, Lee, was, uh, and I really had a hard time with this too, because I was like, well, what do you mean? What do you mean? We've grown up with committed suicide. And you do. I was told, do not say that. Not when I public uh, speaking, I was really kind of, people are banging on my door. Do not say commit. I'm like, well, that's what you say. It's, we grew up with that phrase. Right. Uh, it, and they said to me, do you die? Uh, do you commit a heart attack? Do you commit cancer? uh no we say died uh died by suicide I, and i had a hard time getting that out because it right the go-to the go-to phrase is commit suicide it's what right. we grew up so our, our 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 verbiage is getting better even and at first i was kind of offended what's you know what's a big deal and i thought about it and i went no there's there's something to that oh i, I agree Look, when it comes to suicide not to keep this on suicide too long but you know if you ask someone if they're all right and they're contemplating suicide they might tell you they're fine Oh yeah. Um, you know, and, and that, that's why I, I said, and again, I, I was fortunate enough to go through some training for this and I'm thankful for that training every day, but um, it was hard. I remember uh, Mike, I never told you this. They made us go through an exercise where we had to practice asking someone, are you contemplating suicide? Are you having suicidal thoughts? And even in the, the practice, it was really hard. I mean, it was yeah. hard. Um, it got real serious. And I realized in that moment, um, you know, wow, th this was a hurdle I had to get over myself, you know, and, I, and I'm not someone who's, who's, you know, thankfully, I've never, you know, experienced that, right? Uh, it, but people do every day, and there's a guarantee you're walking by someone who's doing it just by statistics. So, uh, you know, again, for, for hockey parents, I want to make sure <laughs> keep it keep it on hockey. Um, you know, it's okay to have those conversations with your kids, your kid might roll their eyes, Right. They, they might they might act like they don't want to talk about it, but just them knowing that you care, just them knowing that you're you're on top of it. Um, is there the, the other staggering stat about suicide was that uh, almost everyone contemplating, thinking about it, almost everyone is looking for help or looking for someone to talk to them about it. Yeah. Right. You, yeah, you, yeah. you know, just the last thing, I guess, on suicide that, you know, I think you mentioned I'm a suicide survivor. And I can tell you this, I've heard suicide described as cowardly. I've heard it described as courageous because, you know, it, that takes some, something, you know, courage to do, I would, I would think. And it's neither. It's sick. It's somebody that's really um, emotionally ill uh, in a bad way. Uh, maybe life isn't good. It's not always, it's not always mental illness. I always try to preach too. Sometimes it's, uh, because a lot of people, well, I'm not mentally ill, but if you say emotional distress, oh shoot, I can relate to that. Oh, that divorce I went through. I was, a, I was, I was a basket case. I was depressed. I was anxious, you know? So sometimes people get turned, uh, I, they're not mentally ill, but if you say emotionally distressed, well, yeah, we've all been that way. Everybody. Absolutely. I. Uh then I want to I want to bring this back to actually the goalie position a little bit too. So one of the the goals with this offshoot of our show was to create an episode that focused on goaltending, but that that everyone could relate to, right? Not just goalies or goaltending coaches, but coaches, players, skaters, parents. Um, and one of the questions we like to ask is, uh, what are the questions that youth coaches should be asking about the goaltending position that maybe they're not currently asking? Right? It's not just hey, stop the puck. <laughs> You know, there's a little bit more to it than that. First question, are you having fun? Do you enjoy stopping pucks? Do you enjoy this position? That's the first question. Because some kids will go, you know, they tried to be a goalie and now they're stuck there and they're not really enjoying it. They're not built for that. They're not wired for that position. 
So that's the first question. And then, uh, you know, we could ask all the other questions, you know, but they're not really questions. There are things we should be looking for. How good of a skater is my goalie? Um, again, I, when I do private lessons, I get these kids and they can barely, barely stand up mm. and I'm flipping pucks at them and they're, they can't because they don't have balance. They, so that's what you got to do is you got to look for, can the kids skate before you, you stick them in goal? And is he working on his skating? And like my, my wife teaches figure skating and power skating. And the first thing I'll do is go to a parent and say, forget me right now. Let your kid work with her. And then he can come to me or she can come to me. I, you know, it's amazing too. Like, why the, and I, I don't want to get off topic here. Uh, some of my best goalies, or I, I shouldn't say best goalies, uh, best students are female, young girls. And, and I always think, why is that? They, I don't know if it's the wiring, male, female or whatever, but they, they just, uh, I think they process things different than a guy. Uh, guys that are eager, aggressive, keen, uh, competitive women, I think, and this is my own uh, thinking because I kind of study it myself. Is they're more analytical, they they retain or not retain, they they listen better. And you know, uh, you put a kid out there and he just wants to go, whether it's goalie, forward, D, whatever. And uh, I find it, even with our adult groups, the, the women tend to process things a little bit in more in depth. It's my own opinion. My own, yeah, my I know. Own. Well, I mean, it's it, we we see that a lot with with our like I I work a lot with eight U kids and and you know ten U kids and just that that what you mentioned earlier about you know making sure that are they enjoying the position and I think one of the one of the things that's kind of occurred in our game which has been a really positive piece of this is we've gone to like I know at the at the in the USA hockey level we've gone to intermediate nets for the little eight year old kids so they're not in a, they're not in a regulation net and I mean literally this just happened last night we have a we have you know eight nine ten different kids that try goalie quick change gear they throw it in there we don't put the player in a full size regulation NHL net but we put them in an age appropriate net that actually that kid left I mean you you couldn't have had a bigger smile on your face because so many, I don't know if he even made a lot of saves, but a lot of pucks hit him and yeah. the pucks that hit him, he felt he saved them and his teammates felt he saved them. And also they're like, Oh my God, this kid's like a real goaltender. They're like, <laughs> he's stopping pucks and it's hitting them. But we gave him the chance to have success because there just wasn't anywhere else to put the puck. And yeah, I think, you know, that, that was concept. a huge piece. Yeah. It, it was, that's a great, great concept. And, and uh, not only that, some parents will you know, their kid's not a goalie and they're like, well, my kid can't score on that. No, you're helping that kid be a better shooter. Well, right. we say it all the time. Yeah. In our non-goaltending episodes, we talk about <laughs> that all the time. Like you want to teach the whole athlete. Well, it, it's not. It, you know, so, so Clint, how many games in the NHL has a puck lofted over your shoulder and fallen into the net? Never. It doesn't happen. Right. So well, what we do is like, you're talking to me. Well, maybe, maybe. <laughs> well, maybe. I don't want to bring up any bad memories. I don't want to bring up any bad memories, but, but I mean, I think it's the, the, like to make it look like the real game, then our shooters need to learn how to put the puck on a rope. Like you need to shoot. And so an elevated puck is not the same as a looping puck. And I right. think that's what happens when the kids get into these, these huge nets that pucks are looping over their shoulder. And we're asking them, I mean, you as a teacher, right. right. We're asking them to do things that just, aren't in a normal thing we, we, we would you know normal movements that we would Process. see in a real goaltender yeah. but i think my, my my whole point was the fact that you know if we put our kids in in places where they can find success and they can get confidence and they can feel good about being in the position we're going to get more kids that want to be in the position yep. and um you know and i think that's the, the the our job at the at at six and seven and eight years old is to find it is to find you know, joy is to make sure that the kids love being on the ice. And I don't know if I put a kid in the net and he gave up, you know, 27 goals in his first experience, if he would find joy in being no. in the net. I, I don't no. think so. No. Well, and as a goalie coach too, I, I always like, you know, when you bring some shooters out so you can do, you know, uh, drills. And uh, what I always tell the, the goal, I, sure I'm out there for the goalies. I'm the goalie coach. Okay. But I tell the shooters do this. It's hard for the goalie. Goalies do not like this. It's a tough, it's a tough save, like dragging the puck, changing the angle, getting the goalie moving lateral where he has to open up and close again. Um, make it, make it, uh, uh, you know, good for the goalie and good for the shooters, you know, an education for both. We have Steve Valiquette working with the kids down here. And I, I see I, the kids are clamoring. The shooters are like climbing over themselves to get on the ice with yep. Steve 
to shoot. And he doesn't really, he's, I think he's teaching them more mm -hmm. than the shooting coach is teaching them because he's telling them, this is where goalies are weaker. This is yeah. where I need my, my, I need to improve my goalies reaction to this type of shot. But listen, I need you to take this type of shot. Cause this is the shot that on a goalie that I'm not teaching won't be able to stop. So I or, think it's, or, you know, or, or shoot for a rebound. Sometimes you're at a, you're, thank you. you're at a bad angle. <laughs> thank you. There's no way yeah. you're going to score, but shoot it at his pad yeah. to build the net where the rebound's going to go right out in the front. You know, Wait, you don't I, like, you I, don't I, like I, hearing pucks go off the glass. You don't like that. <laughs> you know, you know, you know, Mike, I'll tell you a few things. Clint, you too. Number one is I always tell them every age group, this is from pro down. I say half the goals scored are on a second chance opportunity in front of the net. It behooves you to get very good at that. Yep. Um, here's the other thing too. Go ahead, Glenn. Sorry. Well, you could throw in screens and deflections too. Right. Right. You know? I, it's such an underdeveloped or understudied part of the game at the youth levels. But, you know, Clint, you were talking a few minutes ago, and, and this this all connects, right? About uh, men versus women or boys versus girls. You know, when I really got into studying coaching. I realized that and I was very into hockey. I said, I have to look at other sports. I remember starting that. Like, I need to look at basketball and football and see how they do it. And man, that really expanded my knowledge. Um, but then I started coaching different genders. And I learned a lot. You know, uh, female players tend to bond a lot faster than boys and men. And I learned a lot about how to do that even more effectively by coaching women. So I, I think that it's so important that you try different things. And with that said, for the parents listening, this is what I always tell I tell kids and parents you want to be a great winger play defense you yeah. want to be a great defenseman play center uh you know they used to call me mike i don't remember if i told this story but when i was growing up i started playing at 12 i was pretty late and i could skate like the wind but i could not score they used to call me stone hands that was the nickname they gave me and i i just like you kind of talked about with sports psyching that book uh, the the method of education to start learning how to score was going to goalie clinics i volunteered to go to yeah. goalie clinics. And you know what? I learned how goalies think. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then I started scoring because I understood. You, you know, another great concept is to make every uh, player on the team go and goal for one yeah. practice. And all of a sudden, you know, I'll tell you one thing, the, the older <laughs> kids that can shoot high and shoot hard, they're going to respect that goalie a little more. Yes. You know, you, you know what I mean? They're not uh, zinging him by his ears and that. Um, you just, I think that you learn, uh, what that position is and what goes into that position. Yeah. There's, also, no, there's no doubt we've come such a long way in goalie development. I think, and, and right. knowing, I mean, even on this show, you know, having talked to so many different goalies now and you know, where, it, where the game was and how a goalie was just like the fat, slow kid to now, you know, one Gold, of the Goldberg. best, you know, like the, <laughs> the best athletes, yeah. uh, you know, on, on the planet. And the and really the mentally toughest athletes on the planet. And I think you know you mentioned it earlier. I think the one aspect I think that kids can learn in the goaltending position is, you know, they they for for a lot of ways they do have the time to do what you're doing, Clint, right? And reset and think about like they have the time between and maybe that maybe me as a coach I have to understand it. like I need to have the relationship with my goaltender to say, hey, listen, a goal scored, like you got to give me a sign. Like, do you need more time? Right. To, to work through this and I'll, I'll, you know, I could break a stick on the bench or, you know, lose yeah. an edge or, you know, I could, I could question uh, uh, something a little harder. Like, we, like we can work together with our goaltenders to allow them to, to have that structure that to allow them to have that ability to say, okay, I have time here. Let me reset. Let me go through my, whatever, whatever routine it is. It doesn't have to be what you did, Clint. It could be whatever. Right. Yep. But yep. knowing that we can work together to understand like a goalie, doesn't get the opportunity. Like if I'm a defenseman and I and I'm on the ice for a really bad goal, and my coach pulls me off the ice, I probably have like six minutes to to digest that. Well, Mike, right? I, was, I was gonna say just look up Patrick Wall in 1995 if you want to know the effects of not giving your goaltender a moment. Well, uh, yeah, yeah, you, you lose know. a franchise kid. But I think, but I, and I but I think that's, <laughs> but I think that's that's really understanding now that we know what we know, right? Yeah understanding that this is something that we can we can strategize and work together on and 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 to your point under you know communicate that to the rest of our team because are my forwards and my d it's built into the way the game is structured that they can go on the bench the coach could talk to them you can yeah. coddle them you could yell at them whatever it is you could do the things you need to do but our goaltenders don't get that opportunity no no they don't they, they <laughs> the puck is dropped and they gotta they gotta be mentally ready
And it's not, I know Michael, even... my, like my assistant coach used to get so mad at me when we, at the youth level, we used to switch goalies, like at the halfway mark of games. Like when one kid would play half the game, the other kid played the other half the game. And we'd always like, I, I and me, me, I was even thinking sometimes like I would, if the, if the, if the, the, the time where the kid had a switch, if the face-off was in our zone, we'd always defer and say, okay, let's, I'll give up the extra time, but let's not put this brand new goaltender into a place where the puck is already at their feet. Like, right. why don't we, why don't we put them in when the face-offs in the neutral zone or the other end? So it's like the first thing they don't see when they get in the net is a shot on net. And yeah. I think that's, you know, that's just something to strategize about trying to think about, you know, how am I structuring the game? You know, but to your point, we we need to build in these opportunities for the goaltenders. Yeah, the goal, goalie can move around a little bit if the faceoffs at the other end. You can, you know, you can watch get your feel. Puck, yeah, get the feel and get get his edges and get some pushes in. You know, yeah. Mike, you're also making me think about you're talking about and Clint, you too, about how we don't give the goalies the time, man. We don't even do that between periods. What, what, think about it. what's the what's the go to? Hey, you okay? You okay? All right, good. Let me talk to the rest of the team for the two minutes that I have about the offensive zone uh, forecheck that we're sucking at. Um, right. Clint, I wanted to talk about your work a little bit too. Uh, you know, you're the vice president and founder of the Ranch Teammates for Life, uh, which is committed to supporting others suffering from PTSD, brain injuries. Uh, and other uh, mental or emotional distress, as we talked about. I just want to give you some time to talk about the organization and and how it's working to break the stigma surrounding mental health. Well, what we what we've done it was the Mark Mark Pavlich, who was you know New York Ranger and uh, gold medal champion in 1980. Um, he had some some mental health issues, uh, ended up uh, you know dying by suicide. Uh, but him, it, it was him that uh, really wanted to start this ranch. Him and Barry Beck. Uh, former NHLer, and and along with uh, Mark's sister Jean, uh, they got a hold of me. I can't, I don't know how it was, it was a couple three years ago, and said, "Would you like to be involved?" I said, "Sure." And uh, you know, th then they said, "We'd like you to be the president," and I was like, eh, "I can't, I can't even send an email." So <laughs> we, well, so I ended up being the vice president. And what we're trying to do is help, like you said, uh, uh, veteran athletes. That yeah, because a lot of uh, post-career uh, players struggle, and a lot of it's concussions. Because concussions uh, can cause uh, anxiety, depression, and some mental health issues down the road. Uh, so we we do uh, anybody with brain trauma, mental issues, uh, depression, anxiety, uh, addiction, uh, things like that. And it's not just for uh, you know former NHL players; it's for any player, any sport. Uh, we will not turn anybody away, but it's also for military veterans. We uh, we formed with the Eagles Healing Nest in Minnesota, which is a uh, an organization that helps veterans. And a lot of these veterans would be homeless without the Eagles Healing Nest. And they were uh, nice enough. Uh, Melanie Butler, uh, who founded the Eagles Healing Nest, uh, donated us a building on there. We're renovating it right now. We're raising yeah. funds. And that's what we want to do. We just want to help people and prevent, you know, uh, you know, I'm a suicide survivor. Mark died by suicide. Uh, we've had uh, some junior hockey players and uh, NHL, former NHLers, especially that have died by suicide or overdoses. And uh, so we want to prevent that. Uh, I believe God spared me for those that are still suffering. So, you know, I, I've almost died three times and once was, you know, uh, an attempt at my own life. So uh, I'm very passionate about uh you know, being alive, number one, and I'm here for a purpose and I better uh, make note of it and work on it. Yeah. And hearing you talk about this and this is for the audience, uh, again, through your various ways of finding you speak online, it's so inspirational. And, and thank you. It, it, no, thank you. I, thank you for being courageous enough to do what you're doing. Right. Um, yeah. You speak so freely about it and with so much passion that it's infectious and we all play a role in helping each other. Right. And I think the ranch is, uh, is just one of the many places where that's happening. And, you know, I'll tell you in, in my work with uh, military veterans as well, you know, one of the things that leads to depression um, and eventually sometimes suicide is the loss of three things. And when you're done a pro career in sports or military, you will lose these three things immediately, purpose, identity, and community. And when those th three things disappear, you are in a very bad position. And we need to provide veterans and athletes with purpose, identity, and community um, preferably before they retire, right? Like th this, this, this process should start years in advance, but you're providing that. Um, and I've always been amazed, Clint, at this concept 
that someone who has suffered like you and has been in the position that you've been in finds solace in helping people in similar positions. And I think that that is a key. I think that unlocks a key for people of that if you're feeling a certain way, I find that reaching out and helping other people is an amazing healing process, right? And and you do that. Obviously, the ranch does that. I'm going to talk a minute about how the Minnesota Wild are doing that. Um, but we all play a role in that. And I just, I think that that's one of the major parts of this episode we want to share. Well, yeah, you know, I, I have certain tools that I use to keep my daily balance, uh, you know, especially when I do struggle. Uh, I, I do take medication. Uh, I don't like the alternative. Some some people are anti-meds, but I don't like the alternative. I, I went to a very dark, bad place uh, working out. Uh, and, you know, there's a couple of counseling. Um, but I, I the biggest one is being of service. It gives me such uh, gratification and purpose when you and a lot of people say I don't have time to join the Rotary Club. I don't being a being a service can be opening the door for somebody smiling right. smiling at a coworker when you really don't feel like it. You're kind of grumpy or even pissed off. Right, uh, you'd be surprised. You get out of yourself and into others, and that's why I love public speaking because people come up to me after and say, "Wow, I'm going to go get help. Wow, I'm going to talk to my parents. Wow, I'm going to talk to a doctor." You know. Um, and you, you, they're tearful. They're we're hugging. You know, it's like it. it selfishly, I think I do it for myself. It makes me feel so good. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's nothing wrong with that. And no, there isn't. Yeah. So, sometimes getting out of out of here, getting out of your yeah. own head, and like you said, I, I love the way you put that. Putting yeah. it in someone else's shoes. You you yeah. made me think of uh, I I do coaching with uh, it's, it's a it's a it's a, we're called USA Warriors, and there there's uh, every not every city, a lot of cities around the u.s have uh disabled vets uh and they 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 join these usa warriors and we do tournaments and we do them all over the place and i'll tell you what i get to coach and you, you and i get to meet them and hear a lot of stories and my god but a lot of them that you know i had a one-armed defenseman and you wouldn't even know he had one arm i had a one eyed <laughs> he was a fantastic uh and and then but the thing is most of them have uh if they're not physically disabled it's a ptsd thing and they say that hockey that camaraderie it it just fills a void that they they missed and they right. got in some of them didn't play hockey they had to learn and learn how to skate and it, it's a blast and it's very gratifying yeah i, I gotta say I, I i do a lot of coordinating with the wounded warrior project and we do a lot of sled hockey events and wounded yep. warrior hockey events and there's no doubt that the people I always feel bad about asking people to help me do these things like oh, asking, you know, firemen, policemen, you know, service people. They're always the first ones to add right. service like and, and then they'll leave. Like I'll send out a thank you note. Oh, guys, thanks so much for coming, you know, blah, blah, blah. And every single one of them like, yeah. are you kidding me? Like it was the most gratifying experience that I've ever had to do this. And yeah. I think that's what's missing. I try to do this with all our kids, you know, that I coach, too, is, you know, service is. It, like you said, does it doesn't have to be extreme, but if you can do it, it's amazing how many kids jump on board to say, wow, you know, I really enjoyed that. And I like that. And and wow, I didn't realize how fortunate and lucky and, you know, that I am. Yeah. And if I can do a little bit and look how joyful this other person is, and, to, and to, like you're saying, that's sometimes that's the best part of those people's, uh, you know, you, you know, whole year. Is that is that tournament, you know, because they don't get that joy in other areas of their life. And I think that's a great, you know, just a thing for the audience, to, you know, that you can seek out and find like organizations like yours um, to add service to. That doesn't cost you anything. You don't have to give money. You just add your time and a little bit of effort. And I think, you know, it's amazing, you know, how much joy you get back from working uh, with these different, you know, different, you know, whether it's a wounded warriors or disabled vets or you know any any i work a lot with the uh asha you know american special hockey groups any way you could give you know your expertise and your joy it, it's uh it's going to make you feel yeah. just yeah, it's as like good giving or a gift at the holidays you always feel better when you give the gift it, it's always right. a gift yeah it's it and i think it just goes unnoticed a lot when we're all hustling and bustling and getting private lessons and going to tournaments and spending money on bags and jackets and hats and, <laughs> and, and, and when we go wow i could just do this one little thing and it would be more impactful than anything else i do for my kids mike you're in colorado right uh i'm in new york oh you're in new york okay it's lose down uh, uh losing colorado still yeah, yeah. okay yeah, yeah they have a, they have a big uh disabled american veterans 
winter sports classic in aspen and I, oh man what a what a trip you got blind skiers and you got uh you know sled hockey and and snorkeling and and canoeing and oh man it's it's just it, it it's fun to see the smiles on those veterans yeah and, you know, and and again it doesn't do it doesn't cost you more than anything but your time yeah and yeah. I'll, I'll say this guys before i jump into this last question here is you know I've studied this, you know, biologically, <laughs> humans are not meant to operate alone. We are, uh, from an animal level, meant to be together. We are meant to work together. And there's a lot of forces right now ripping us apart from each other. And it's not surprising to me that it's causing problems. But at a base level, we are supposed to help each other. We are supposed to take care of each other. It's it, it It's just, it's hard for people to embrace that concept right now. But I'm I'm hell bent on making sure that we learn how to trust to work together again. Um, Clint, I want to I'm going to make sure I bring this up before the episode ends. Um, uh, we also know the Minnesota Wild have taken a really proactive stance on mental health. Uh, they're doing a, a thing called Hockey Talks. Hockey Talks. I don't know where my accent came from there. Uh, but there's these little segments. Uh, again, today's date's February seventh, two thousand twenty-three. If you're listening to this in the future, this is something they do annually. Um, and next week, the the University of Minnesota head coach PJ Flex is going to be speaking. Um, at the St. Paul River Center, which is a which is a great location, all the the Let's Play Hockey Expos there is every year. Um, how important are events like these to furthering the conversation? Again, I know you speak about this all the time, but we're starting well, I, to see the other things sprout up. Yeah, I, I was uh, I spoke at that uh, hockey talks in Minnesota last year. Right. I, I was the uh, my wife was with me too. She spoke with me. Uh, great. Th these things. Uh, you, I think we got, I can't remember, the, don't quote me on this. I think we got 17 teams that are doing hockey talks, but wow. a lot of teams, if they're not doing hockey talks, they're doing a mental health uh, awareness night. Right. Uh, I'm supposed to go to Buffalo on next month and do their, their, uh, their game. And yeah, I, I think it, it's so important that the, you know, we, we look up to our, up to our athletes and celebrities. And then when you see them uh, doing things that are helping people, it, it it just opens up the door for that person that's struggling in science to say, hey, you know, uh, Mark Andre Fleury is is a an advocate for this, or whoever it might be. Maybe I should go, you know, talk to somebody. It it just opens up the awareness and the uh, conversation. Yeah, it, it's uh, first off, it's awesome to see the NHL taking a step forward with this. And again, look, we've said the whole episode, we've got a long way to go, but it's going the right direction. I feel like we finally have, have you know, we're walking the right line. And uh, Clint, again, look, you're a champion in this realm. I'm so thankful that you came on today. I'm thankful for the ranch and um, everything that you do that you stand for. You know, I'm glad you're here. And and uh, you you tell your story with such courage you know, there's no, there's no stumbling in it. Do you know what I mean? It, it, right. It's just like, this is who I am. This is what I've done. And this is why I'm here. Yeah. I think we need more people like that right now that are not afraid to talk about their lives in that way, because we all deal with this on some level. Every one of us, there's not one person that is just mentally fit all the time. It doesn't exist. No, no, it right? sure doesn't. Yeah. So Mike, any final words before I uh, close this out? Now, I just appreciate uh, Clint, you being on. And I think, you know, we talk uh, a lot on our show about, you know, access for kids and access for the sport of hockey. But I think one of the things you've done is, you know, provide access for for mental health. And it's the same thing if you're a parent, you know, if you're getting your kid power skating lessons or shooting classes or goaltending lessons or whatever it might be. I mean, this is this is has to be top in your priority of, you know, how you're going to you know what what your what your uh, workshop is going to look like uh, for your kids each year. And I think adding some type of uh, mental health and, and, you know, development in there is, uh, you know, on, it should be on top of mind for every, every one of our parents. Absolutely. I agree a hundred percent. Anybody that wants to reach out, uh, I try not to give advice, but I, you know, it's hard to, because I'm not really a doctor. Well, I am it's honorary though, so I don't know anything. That's true. That is true. <laughs> uh, but they can go to my website. It's uh, malarchuk.com. Uh, you can email me through that. And, uh, you know, if you got questions or uh, need a little bit of direction or something, I will try to help. Well, and I was going to say, at minimum, visit that website or just search Clint's name, Clint Malarchuk. <laughs> you'll you'll find everything you need to know about this man who I do want to reiterate, had a 12-year NHL career where you talk about the puck bouncing over you. You don't make it 12 years of the NHL if you don't have some idea of what you're doing. But uh, Clint, fantastic episode. Thank you for being here. 
today. That, that's going to do it for this episode of Our Kids Play Goalie. Again, all of our episodes of Our Kids Play Goalie and Our Kids Play Hockey can be found at ourkidsplayhockey.com or wherever you listen. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to share it with your friends, your coaches, your, your kids, your team snap, wherever it is that you do it. If you're on Live Farm, put it in chat. I don't have chat, but that, you know what I mean. Share this. we got to get this message out there. Um, and we'll see you next time on another edition of Our Kids Play Goalie. Thanks for Mike Benelli, Clint Malarchuk, I'm Lee Elias. We'll see you next time. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Our Kids Play Hockey. Make sure to like and subscribe right now if you found value wherever you're listening, whether it's a podcast network, a social media network, or our website, ourkidsplayhockey.com. Also, make sure to check out our children's book, When Hockey Stops, at whenhockeystops.com. It's a book that helps children deal with adversity in the game and in life. We're very proud of it. But thanks so much for listening to this edition of Our Kids Play Hockey, and we'll see you on the next episode.